With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast. I'm Chris McPherson, joined alongside Fran Duffy, and uh, coming down the stretch, we're getting closer. Uh, Melissa Kelly, who is producing behind the behind the glass, she's producing uh, Eagles Draft Central for Philadelphiaeagles.com. Said to me earlier today, it's only a couple weeks away, and I was like, "We're two, we're two weeks away. Two weeks, two weeks from Thursday. Two weeks from Thursday. Yes, it's crazy. Come on. I mean, you know, we're getting closer. The pre, we got the preseason schedule, okay, unveiled by the NFL today. That's how you know we're just getting that much closer. The regular season schedule will be coming up." Uh, shortly thereafter, so next week or the week after. It usually, it's, it's usually, usually the week like before, right, yeah, week so, before we'll the see. draft. So some point next week, yeah. but you know, go for it for Eagles fans, real quick. Home against Tennessee, then at Jacksonville, Nikki Foles bound right there, and then uh, week three, the Ravens will come to Philadelphia. They will have joint practices here in Philadelphia, and of course, you always conclude with the New York Jets this year. The Eagles going up to MetLife Stadium. So it's just a, another sense that we're getting closer. I mean, the players are in the building on Monday. For the start yeah. of the off-season conditioning program, so it's time. We'll see a lot of those rookies in the preseason. We certainly will. So again, we're going to kick things off with draft buzz with Tony Pauline. Our pick six this week—a fun one. Six players that we don't want to see end up in the division. It's always a fun exercise. Yeah, it's a good exercise. It, it made me think of uh, when Harry Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie were talking at the NFL annual meeting. Uh, they talked about. Nick Foles previously, and they said that they didn't want to see him end up with like New York or Washington, that that was a possibility. So, you know, these are guys that, you know, we don't want to see end up in the division. It happens every single year when, you know, you, look, I watch hundreds of guys, and, you know, there are guys that you really, really like. And sometimes you see them go, and you're like, ah, oh, the Giants. And sometimes those guys don't work <laughs> out. Yeah. Oh, how many times do I talk about how much I loved Owama Bayo Digizua? Uh, and he goes to the Giants in the third round. I was like, man, they got a great player, and he busted out. He, didn't, yeah. he ended up not being a good player. But um, I can't uh, believe you put yourself on the record as admitting that you missed on a guy. I miss on guys all the time. Oh. We all miss. Everybody misses. Woo. <laughs> like everybody hits. Uh, our unofficial visit, it's with David Long. Which David Long? The linebacker from West Virginia. Okay. There is a corner from Michigan. We talked about the Michigan corner last week. Yes. So, And then, of course, your questions, a lengthy list of your questions yes. in the draft mailbag. There's actually one. Wow. This number. This number. You have to wait till the end of the podcast. Yeah, we'll but there's in. a number that's going to be well worth the wait. So yeah. let's get things rolling and get things started with Draft Buzz. Tony Pauline from DraftAnalyst.com. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. As we get closer and closer to the draft, this segment becomes more and more relevant. None other than Draft Buzz, courtesy of Tony Pauline, DraftAnalyst.com, at Tony Pauline on Twitter. Tony, let's get right into it. Any late-breaking news as we record the podcast that you want to kick off to start the segment? Well, I'm sure as we get closer and closer to the draft, more is going to break. But what I'm hearing right now is Dexter Lawrence of Clemson. Is the, fa- is the fastest-rising defensive lineman on boards around the league. Uh, here's a guy who many thought was going to be a late first-round pick. I'm hearing right now he could be a top-15 selection. He could actually come off the board before uh, his teammates Christian Wilkins and Cleveland Farrell, which no one would have guessed a month ago. Uh, teams are okay with the Peds issue, which knocked him out of the semifinal game and, and the, the title game for Clemson. Obviously, they love his size. They love his athleticism. They love his upside potential. 
Not too many people I talk with are concerned, have the concerns that I do, that he seems to turn it on and off uh, on occasion. But, you know, they're looking at this guy as a six foot four, three 330-pound athletic uh, defensive line prospect that could be used in a variety of positions to really dominate up front. So I, I think right now as we head, uh, you know, a little bit three, uh, three weeks or so, less than three weeks before the draft, it looks like Dexter Lawrence is making a big dash up draft boards. And Tony, I'm glad you brought him up because he was actually a guy I wanted to ask you about today because he's a player going back after like second and third watch. You know, when I first watched him as a junior, I thought maybe he was a little bit, you know, scheme dependent. He would be more of a three, four guy, nose tackle only. The more I watched, I know he was healthier this year, so that kind of helped. But the more I saw, you know what, this guy can play in pretty much any scheme. Is that something uh, that you've seen and then you've heard from people that you've talked to? Yeah, when he's on his game, I mean, he he's a guy that you can line up at defensive tackle. You, you may even be able to use him in a three-man front. It's just a matter of him being uh, consistently playing at a high level, consistently bending his knees. I, I think what happens when I watch Lawrence the past two years all too often is he gets a little bit straight-legged, at, at, which basically neutralizes any size or power advantage he has. At, at times it seems like he's on roller skates. But when he is focused on his game, uh, he is a dominant player, and he has been for three years. So it's just a matter of him consistently playing at a high level. All right, Tony, getting into the quarterback position, you've obviously broken a lot of news regarding Kyler Murray going number one overall throughout this pre-draft process. But a note here from Gil Brandt, the godfather of, of the draft, the combine uh, for NFL Network, predicts that four quarterbacks, four of them, will be selected within the first 25 selections of this year's draft. And I absolutely can see that. I mean, you know, you got three in, in Murray, uh, Kyler Murray, uh, Haskins, Dwayne Haskins, and Drew Locke. And I think that Daniel Jones of Duke is going to be the uh, the fourth selection, the fourth quarterback selected. Now, where does he go? I think Washington at fifteen is a possibility if they don't trade for Josh Rosen. I think the Giants at seventeen are also a possibility if they lose out on Dwayne Haskins early in the draft. I know this, and I reported it at DraftAnalyst.com. Both teams came away from Jones' pro day, or the Duke pro day, which Jones performed at, very impressed with him. Uh, they like what's going on between the ears. They like his character. They think he's got a lot of upside. And, you know, he's a tough quarterback. So people say that, you know, Jones is a project, and that could be true. He may need some time. But when you look at Washington as well as the Giants, I mean, these are guys that got veteran quarterbacks on the roster that are probably going to play for at least a year. You take Jones in the mid to late part of round one, uh, you know, you can sit him for a year and, and develop him, and, and teams like his upside. So I absolutely would agree with uh, Gil Brandt. I think Daniel Jones will be that fourth quarterback. It's just a matter of where he ends up. And then I guess on the, on the other side of the coin here, Tony, I think you look at one of our friends, uh, Lance Zerline, NFL.com, uh, will be joining us on the show in the next coming weeks. But when you look at a, a report from Lance over the weekend, I want to read the tweet to you. After speaking with a few different teams, I definitely get the feeling that Dwayne Haskins' draft stock was more media-created than team-driven. I see Haskins falling on draft day, and I think the chances are increasing that he is not the second quarterback off the board. That was followed up. Uh, by Mike Lombardi of The Athletic today, who went on this morning and he tweeted uh, that basically kind of reiterated that a Haskins stock has always been media-driven, never team evaluators-driven. So uh, I know that you've, you've talked a lot about you know, Dwayne Haskins and you know, the interest there with the New York Giants. Do you think it's possible that Haskins falls, or do you think, no, he, he's going to be a lock for the, you know, the top half of the first round in this draft? It's not only the New York Giants, it's the Oakland Raiders who also like Dwayne Haskins. So uh, Haskins is a good quarterback. I mean, there weren't too many bumps in the road 
for Haskins uh, last year. Even when Ohio State lost, I mean, he was authoring 30 points underneath center, uh, threw relatively well at the combine, had a good pro day. You talk to people. It's not just the physical skills with Wayne Haskins. You know, they like his personality. They like his character. They like his leadership skills. People gravitate towards him. That's something that's very important. That's something that we all saw with Carson Wentz uh, when he was at the Senior Bowl that year. Uh, the, the way just people look to him for leadership, that's the same thing with Haskins. Uh, I mean, could he be all over the place? With, well, could some teams not grade him as, uh, as highly as others? Absolutely. That happens all the time. But he's a big, strong-arm quarterback. I, I mean, if there's a media creation, in my opinion, it would be more Kyler Murray. And it would be a media creation as well as one team, the Arizona Cardinals, who's absolutely fallen in love with him. You know, remember, Kyler Murray's had no bumps in the road, really no adversity as far as his football career is concerned. Uh, Dwayne Haskins has had a little bit more. So I would disagree with that. We'll have to wait and see what happens on draft day. All you need, Tony, is one team to fall in love with you, and it happens to be the number one overall team selecting, then it really doesn't matter at that point. Now, one team that has not really been discussed in terms of needing a quarterback or possibly taking a quarterback is Cincinnati. And Matt Miller from Bleacher Report says there is, quote, talk around the league that Cincinnati could be a team looking for a quarterback with the number 11 overall selection. Of course, they have Andy Dalton. You wonder, would they fall in line with like a New York or Washington situation where they have their veteran quarterback on the field now, but you can draft and develop a guy for down the road? Yeah, I think uh, that's more of a luxury uh, pick for the Bengals at this point. I think it's more of a function of a brand-new coaching regime that's come into the franchise, and they may look to to upgrade over Andy Dalton or or basically start fresh and start start anew, as opposed to, say, you know, really needing to replace Andy Dalton. Could Cincinnati look for a quarterback? Yes, I don't think it's a necessity. And, again, I think it's more the end result of a brand-new coaching regime saying, listen, we're going to go in a different direction. Tony, you said on the Draft Analyst podcast over the weekend, or it might have been late last week, that uh, Florida right tackle Jawan Taylor could be sliding due to a, a medical issue. I wasn't sure if you had gotten any updated information on it, but I figured I'd ask you about it on the show here this week. Has there been any extra information you've been able to glean uh, about Jawan Taylor, a guy that a lot of people think will be a top-10 pick? Uh, I, I've not. The only additional information is people have com- more people have confirmed it with me, that he has been med- medically red flagged by a number of teams. I've not been uh, told uh, what the medical condition is. Uh, as I said during the podcast, you know, he's had some wild weight fluctuations while he was at Florida. He was up uh, in the 380 range from what I was told, uh, although he came into the uh, combine uh, under 305 in shape. But multiple people have confirmed that my initial report that there are red flags going up or medical red flags going up on Juwan Taylor are true. I just have not been able to pinpoint exactly what, what it is. Tony, uh, last week we had Steve Palazzolo from Pro Football Focus, and he discussed why he thinks Jerry Tillery should be a top-10 prospect overall in this draft class. Uh, it has been reported, Ian Rappaport had it during the combine. It was also reiterated this past week uh, that Jerry Tillery uh, had his outstanding performance at the NFL scouting combine despite a torn labrum. Uh, is the labrum surgery that he had after the combine impacting his stock whatsoever? Not from what I've heard. And, and, I mean, that's a common occurrence because if you have the labrum surgery before the combine, there's a good chance that you're not going to be able to work out at all before the draft. So what team, what, what players have done in the past is 
They put the surgery off till right after the combine. This way they can get as much of a workout in as possible at the combine, have the surgery, then rehab, and be ready for minicamp. I don't think it's going to affect Jerry Tillery's stock. I think what will affect Jerry Tillery's stock is there are just so many defensive linemen in this year's class uh, that a guy like Tillery is probably going to be pushed down further than he ordinarily should be and will be underdrafted. When you say underdrafted, Tony, where do you think he goes? Do you think he ends up in the first round, the back half of the first round, or do you think he'll end up as a day two selection? I think you know he deserves to be a guy that goes in the bottom third of round one, but ultimately I, I think he could be end up in the top ten picks of round two. Well, Tony, let's talk about a guy that really has helped himself, especially with what he did at his pro day, and that's J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, the wide receiver from Stanford. A lot of questions about his speed and overall athletic profile. Broke 4-5 by most accounts at his pro day late last week. Uh, How much does that help his stock going into this draft, and where do you kind of see him falling in this receiver class? Yeah, it really helps it a lot because now you know that it's not just a situation where uh, Arcega Whiteside was out-muscling opponents for the ball. He has that speed. He has the quickness to physically separate and do more than just win out for the contested throws for the 50-50 throws. So I think he's definitely uh, solidified himself as a second-round pick. Where he goes in the second round you know, remains to be seen. He's got decent size, six foot two, uh, 220 pounds, ran well in the 40. We know he catches the ball well. We know he, you know, he competes to come away with the reception. I could see him literally somewhere in the in the middle part of round two, say between selections of fifty two uh forty two to fifty two. Interesting. It seems like a lot of receivers are going to go early on day two of the NFL draft. Uh last week on the podcast, Tony, we didn't have a chance to catch up on some of the pro day results, uh places like Memphis, Texas Christian, Virginia. Uh any other pro day results, anyone really help or hurt their stock with their pro day workouts? Well, I think a lot of guys help themselves at the pro days you mentioned. I mean, uh, Daryl Henderson uh, of uh, Memphis, I-, I project him as a second-day pick. Uh, teams like his versatility. He's more of a downhill runner, but he's got tremendous, he showed tremendous short area quickness during position drills, drills at Memphis Pro Day. Caught the ball very well. Cornerback uh, out of Virginia, team who won the national title last night in basketball, Tim Harris. Uh, six one and a half, one hundred ninety six pounds. Ran in the low four fours. We got to see him at the Shrine Game. You know, a little side note on Tim Harris. He was really an up and coming cornerback prospect in two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen. Suffered a significant injury, which put him on the sidelines in two thousand sixteen, and he was slow to return. He's got the size, and he's shown the cover skills. You know, to be a player at the next level, and with his forty time in the low four fours, people know he's got the athleticism. So Harris really helped himself. Uh, what I mean by help himself is uh, he's a guy that no one was thinking about as being draftable. He may have pushed himself into late rounds, as well as and his teammate Juan Thornhill continues to march up draft boards. I think right now Juan Thornhill is the fastest rising safety. Uh, teams love him as a player. He's got it going in between the years. We saw him at the combine, uh, tested much better than anybody expected. The thing about Juan Thornhill is people think that he can make the transition to cornerback at the next level. And, I mean, early in the Journey to the Draft podcast, Fran and I were talking about him at cornerback where he played in 2017. I'm still kind of hands-off on him playing cornerback. I think safety is his best position. But what I think doesn't matter, there are teams in the league who think he can be a big corner at the next level. And Thornhill may slide into the late part of uh, round one. As far as TCU, uh, Ben Benagu had a tremendous uh, workout. It did, Stood on his uh, pro day numbers, but looked great in position drills. A lot of people believe that he has secured himself as a uh, second-day choice. 
And then Ty Summers, the running, uh, the uh, linebacker, the pure linebacker from TCU, looked great in position drills, tested well at the combine. He's a guy who's known as a great athlete. He's just got to transition those skills into football production. But people came away very impressed with Ty Summers, who now looks like an early selection in day three of the draft. All right, as we wrap up this segment each and every week, we do a little mock draft roundup, and we got a two-for-one here. Okay, ESPN had Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay do dueling mock drafts, and we have the first two rounds for both uh, McShay and Kuyper here. We'll start with Kuyper, give him the the seniority bump here. All right, so in the first round for the Eagles, I'll just go through the picks and then we can discuss. In the first round, number 25 overall, he has Mississippi State safety Jonathan Abram coming off the board to the Eagles. In the second round, the Eagles fortify the trenches with Titus Howard, the small school tackle from Alabama State, and then following that up four picks later, getting a thumper in Bobby O'Kikery, the linebacker out of Stanford. Tony, your thoughts on Mel Kuyper's three picks for the Eagles? I still think uh, 25th pick of the draft is a little bit early for Jonathan Abram. I think that Juan Thornhill of Virginia would be probably better selection at this point because he's got more versatility. Uh, I mean, Abram is a downhill thumper. That uh, He's an explosive hitter. He doesn't have the range that Juan Thornhill has. He doesn't have the ability to play over the slot receiver Thornhill has. So I, I still think that's a little bit early. Titus Howard, if he's there, and that's a big question mark because Titus Howard could go in the middle of round two. I think that would be an outstanding pick for the Eagles for a couple of reasons. He's a versatile guy. You can line him up at several positions on the offensive line, guard, or either tackle spot. He's a guy that's uh, a solid player now that's got great upside down the road. So I, I think that would be a terrific uh, selection. Bobby Okariki, I like him, but I think third round is a little bit too early. He is a, he is an Eagles type of uh, linebacker, though, a, a smaller guy that you know can run to the ball, get from point A to point B very quickly, has definitely helped himself in the pre-draft process, looked good at the senior bowl, tested well at the combine. Uh, I think second round is a little bit too early, uh, but, uh, but I don't know. It, it, is a good, it would be a good fit for the Eagles. All right, let's look at uh, Todd McShay's version of the uh, the two-round mock draft. Three picks again for the Eagles. DeAndre Baker, uh, first round, 25th overall. Second round, they go Miles Sanders at number 53, the running back from Penn State, and then Virginia safety Juan Thornhill at 57 overall. doesn't seem like you think Thornhill will be there, Tony, but uh, what do you think overall of the, uh, the trio of selections from Todd McShay? Well, Thornhill's there at 57. I, I think the Eagles are doing backflips. That would be a tremendous, uh, tremendous value pick as well as fitting a need. I don't, I don't think Thornhill's getting out of the first, uh, the initial 42 uh, uh, picks. Uh, DeAndre Baker, 25. Listen, we talked about him uh, pre- when we previewed the uh, defensive backs uh, at the Combine, and I was, inc- I was correct in what I said. He didn't come out of the Combine with good reviews. His testing was okay. His position drills were not good at all. You're hearing a lot of other things about DeAndre Baker. I never projected him as a first-round selection. I think he's a bottom half of round two guy. I think Miles Sanders, if he's there at round, in round two, would be a good, uh, good value pick for the Eagles. Would also fortify their running back unit. Uh, he's a guy who is a versatile ball carrier, can catch the ball out of the backfield, which we know the Eagles want. Uh, I think that would be an outstanding selection for them. All right. Again, check out all of Tony's work at draftanalyst.com as well as at Tony Pauline. On Twitter, Tony, thanks as always. Now we're going to transition into our pick six, six players we don't want to see in the NFC East. Now it's time for pick six. Six players we don't want to see in the division. 
you know, we figured we would each pick a player, and you just so happened to pick three defensive players. I don't even think you realized. It's a defensive player draft. It, it is. You know, there's offensive guys, too. I mean, there's offensive you know. guys, too. But, but, you know, you obviously, because you probably have, like, ten guys that come to mind, like, you know, guys you don't want to see. This, this was actually inspired. It was a question in a draft mailbag segment from a couple weeks right, ago. Right, correct. And it was one of those things, like, on the spot, like, you know, I, I was able to give a little more thought, and it was yeah. like, okay, let it percolate a little like bit, it. and, and uh, so I'd make a full segment of it. So yeah. uh, I'll let you kick things off with the, the New York football Giants. Well, yeah, so they're picking uh, – they've got obviously two picks in the first round, number six overall, the first selection uh, for the Giants. And, look, they're going to take a pass rusher at some point in round one. We feel pretty good about that. The one guy that I would really like them to not end up with is Brian Burns from Florida State. You know, a hyper-athletic kid, high motor, good kid off the field, uh, can defend the run. The question with him is his power, is his size. You know, he was played, you know, reportedly in the low two twenties. He came in just under two hundred fifty pounds at the combine. Can he play it that way? Can he sustain it that way? That will be the question. Will he be able to hold up physically in the NFL? If he drops, that's going to be the reason why. If a team thinks that's going to be okay, he's going to go high, and I hope that it's not to New York. So I'm going to stay in the trenches, but I, I went all offensive players for mine. And the Giants retooled the offensive line last year. Yep. Nate Solder, left tackle. Will Hernandez coming in at left guard. This offseason, they traded for Kevin Zeitler from the Browns. I hope they don't add Jawan Taylor, okay? You know, put him in there as a franchise right tackle. Plug and play, yep. You know, plug and play guy right there. You know, certainly they're still smarting from the Eric Flowers debacle. Uh, but nonetheless, though, you know, this is a guy who was 400 pounds in high school down yep. in Cocoa Beach, Florida, and was told, look, you're not going to get any college scholarships unless you lose the weight. And now he's coming in at like a chiseled 315 yep. pounds. Um, you know, played on the right side, again, makes a transition. You, when you talk to Lane Johnson about the importance of right tackle, we've talked about it on the podcast, you know, you're going to see great edge rushers from both sides of the, of the line of scrimmage. So certainly you need to have strength there at right tackle. Uh, I don't know about the medical red flags that Tony Pauline mentioned yep. early in the segment, but, you know, at least for my money, I wouldn't want to see the Giants strengthen that offensive line there. Some people might say, how come you didn't pick a quarterback? But with Saquon Barkley – with what they're doing along the offensive line, I don't want to see it get that much stronger and get that much closer to completion. Yeah, I mean he's the 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 hog molly that you know Dave Gettleman always talks about. He's a you know big body up front. He values the trench uh, the trenches, which is right. I mean every team should value the trenches just like the Eagles do. Uh, so yeah, I would agree with you. I would not like to see Juwan Taylor in, in uh, New York blue. Let's go to Washington. So I went. Uh, I stayed well, on the edge. I stayed on the edge. I went with uh, with Cleveland Farrell, uh, the the pass rusher, the defensive end from Clemson. And, I, and when I look at Cleveland Farrell. It's similar to Burns in some ways in that I think both of them use their hands very well. I think Farrell is probably a, a little bit of a better technician. Um, really, the only guy that I would compare him to would be Bosa from a, uh, from a technician standpoint in this draft. I mean, he uses his hands very, very well, has a very deep toolbox to attack offensive linemen with, uh, love his motor, can defend the run, uses his length very well, just a very well-rounded player. And in that 3-4 scheme, they lose Preston Smith. Yep. They drafted Ryan Anderson, who was another personal favorite of mine a couple years ago go from Alabama he hasn't shown a ton yet so I don't know if they're fully bought into him being a starter opposite Ryan Kerrigan if they do decide to go pass rusher Cleveland Farrell would be a guy I'd like to not see them end up with no Alabama defensive players 
this year for them? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the way that they've been trending. I don't know. So I mean, Quinn, Quinn and Williams not going to be there. Yeah, so Quinn and Williams isn't going to be there. Um, Deontay Thompson. Yeah, there's no one. Look, I would pencil in Deontay. Deontay Thompson fits them to a T. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the draft. Yeah. Ooh, like that right there. So uh, my player, again, staying with offense. I actually – so I'm breaking – I'm doing the, the Fran Duff here, going outside of pick six, okay? Oh, so pick seven, courtesy of Pick, pick right, seven. Beautiful. All right. I actually went with a player who's actually not available in the draft to be selected, but someone who could be up for a trade. That's Josh Rosen mm. out from Arizona. So, you know, all the speculation is that Arizona will take Kyler Murray with the number one overall pick. What do you do with Josh Rosen? I look at the Washington quarterback situation, and they acquired Case Keenum, who's probably going to be a bridge to some long-term solution at quarterback. This team was in the playoff mix with Alex Smith last season before he went down with that injury, and we don't know if he's ever going to be able to suit up and play again. I don't want to see them get that long-term answer at quarterback. Which he could be a giant, too, honestly. He too. could be a giant. And, yeah. again, you could fit him in the same kind of box yep. there. Sure. Um, so I said that for a guy that he could trade for. Wouldn't okay. want to see Josh Rosen there. That's a good one. But for an actual player to be drafted, I said DK Metcalf, okay, because they're – you know, strong in the trenches, strong run game with Darius Geis coming off the ACL. They've got people Adrian, forget about Darius Geis. Completely uh, forgot about. Yep. Adrian Peterson, you know, coming back for another season. They don't really have any answers at the wide receiver position at this point. Josh Doxson really hasn't uh, come to fruition. You know, fulfilled that talent of his when he was selected in the first round. DK Metcalf, I sort of have visions of almost Des Bryant mm. uh, in a sense, in the way that you know he dominated the NFC East in the past. So. If I were to say a player, I would say D.K. Metcalf is a player I wouldn't want to see. One, one thing I want to say with the whole quarterback thing, and to me, if you feel like you're getting a franchise, if you're going to get that guy who's going to lead your team, you think for the next 10 years, okay, why is a team like the Giants not going to take him with the six overall pick? Why it, It's such an important position. That, and this, I'm, not, I'm not looking for an answer. This is rhetorical. No, I'm you're kind right. of shouting right, into the ether here that – you have two first-round picks. Obviously, you want to get impact players at both. I don't know if I want to play the game of I'll use six on an edge rusher or whatever, what have you, and then wait to hopefully see if my guy is still there. I, I would want to make sure I get my guy. If if I believe that he is if, – if, if you're bought into X, him being the guy, then you're not going to play games. You can't. You can't afford to play games. So that's my little I agree with spiel you. on that. Uh, to Dallas. So they obviously don't pick until the second round. Correct. Uh, and so these are going to be – Later little, second little, round, yeah, too. Yeah, so this is, this is a different kind of prospect. Um, Taylor Rapp, safety from Dallas – or from uh, from Washington. Look, he ran the four seven four. I grade Taylor Rapp – I look at Taylor Rapp as like – to me, he's like a first-round talent. He's not going to go first round. You know, I would say it's very, very unlikely he's going to go first round because of the forty yard dash down. He ran the four seven four. That was the concern. That does you know what is his speed like? Does he have the ability to play free safety? That's the question. Didn't answer it all that well at the pro day. So mm-hmm. he's going to go down a little bit. So he's a great player. The speed could cause him to drop. Could he drop all the way to the end of round two in a good safety class? Now you have all these other guys you're comparing him to. Is he compared to a Juan Thornhill, a Jonathan Abram, a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, a Darnell Savage? All these guys all you know, playing the same position. How is he going to compare to all those guys? Deontay Thompson from Alabama as well. Um, it's a big, big question. So I look at Tyler Rapp, though. On film, his fil- like, he's better than all those guys, and he does different things. I would hate to see him end up in Dallas. All right, so last but not least here, when you look at the Cowboys' offense, the one position that needs an influx of talent, to me, is clearly tight end. 
Jason Witten coming out of retirement. You know, I, th- I think he would solve all our problems, though, you would think. Yeah, he, he very well could. Good. Very well could. But uh, last year, the Blake Jarwins, yep. Rigo Gatt, those guys just didn't pan out. They let Jeff, Sw- Jeff Swain was the starter, and they let him leave. He's now in yeah, Jacksonville. Exactly. So that tells you what they think of their tight end situation. Yep. So, again, we're going second round here. So you're not going to get TJ Hawkinson. You're not going to get Noah Fant. Irv Smith is probably out of the discussion at this point. So I'm looking at Texas A&M's Jace Sternberger, who can be very much a move tight end, was a consensus All-American, was the Aggies' offensive MVP this season. Just don't want to see another matchup weapon for a team that, you know, they've already got uh, Mark Cooper. Yep. They've got Michael Gallup, uh, you know, last year's rookie out of Colorado State, who I liked a lot. Um, They added Randall Cobb, you know, in the slot. Have Tavon Austin still there. Good run game. Got the the run game with Zeke Elliott. Yep. So you, you, what's interesting is a lot of you actually brought this up that the Cowboys are actually sniffing around the running backs a lot. They are in this draft class, which there was almost part of me that was was almost like, do you put someone there just because of the insurance for Zeke goes down? But uh, when I just look at the team as it presently stands, if you have a plug and play tight end to add to the offense. Just another dimension that will be much tougher to stop. Yeah, and I think when you look at Sternberger, when I watch him, he reminds me a lot of Zach Ertz coming out of Stanford. I think there's a lot of shades of, the, of those two guys. I think they're very, very similar. So those are six players we don't want to see in the NFC East. It's time now for Fran's unofficial visit with David Long, the West Virginia linebacker. They had a chance to catch up at the Senior Bowl. The unofficial visit. Here now with West Virginia linebacker David Long. And, David, for fans who have yet to watch you play, give us a quick scouting report of what you'll bring to the NFL. Uh, just an all-around uh, good defensive player, physical, instinctive, uh, uh, ball hawk, uh, you know, just an all-around good football player in my opinion. And with the feedback you've gotten from NFL scouts, what, what is the one thing that they've kind of said that you know you want to kind of prove over the next couple of months? Uh, that I can play uh, with my you know, my physical abilities you know, that I have and uh, not worry about what the, the height factor or, or anything else, how, how it plays into it. I just to go out there and be a football player like I am. And is there an underrated part of playing the linebacker position that maybe fans and media don't necessarily think about but is really important to having success at that spot? Uh, well, in my opinion, just being able to read the play before it happens, you know, pre-snap uh, uh, abilities, just a pre-snap reads and uh, just be able to you know fly around when needed to. And you were used often as a blitzer at West Virginia. What, what did you like about that role? What was it that makes you a good blitzer? Uh, just to use my, my athletic ability to my advantage, uh, uh, speed, quickness, and power. Uh, just use my advantage, my advantages to the, the lineman's disadvantage and, and you know, just kind of you know work around them, just work my work my way to the ball. And then, is there one player that you went up against this year that really kind of stood out above the rest that really impressed you? Um, well, I mean, I go against Yanni Kajust every day in practice, so uh, he, he's definitely a, a bigger, a big uh, person to go against, and we always work with each other to get better. All right, well, Dave, appreciate the time here. Best of luck the rest of this week and for the next couple months. Yes, sir. Thank you. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. We've got a fun one here, okay? We're going to go maybe a little longer in the draft mailbag because the questions have been so good. We figure if we want to pad the show a little bit here, why don't we devote more time to the mailbag? And uh, shout out to Melissa Kelly doing a phenomenal job behind the glass who uh, and also doing a phenomenal job getting the draft programming together for draft weekend, okay? Stay confident, Melissa. 
You're doing phenomenal. Got a lot going on. Make sure you're you're uh, you're tuned in. It's it's absolutely going to be great. Fran and Amy Campbell are going to be uh, hosting from the studio. Uh, we have Dave Spadaro down in Nashville, Tennessee. So we're going to have everything completely covered. Yep. Draft weekend. Um, great tease here. Great number. You want to stay tuned for at the end of the podcast. I promise. Promise. I mean, don't oversell it. It's not oversell. No, <laughs> not for me. We actually discussed this on last week's podcast, and Fran did a little little digging. A little research. Took me a little time, but I got it. All right. So, again, first and foremost, if you have questions, comments, ratings, leave them on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you listen. We will get to those questions first in a segment, as we do here. RJ Field 11. One takeaway from Josh Jacobs' YouTube highlights was that he doesn't make a whole lot of people miss or break a ton of tackles for a top-tier running back. He seems to do everything well and loves to initiate contact. But do you notice this on your extended tape study? And if so, is this a concern for someone who may be a first-round pick at a lesser-valued position? Thanks, and keep up the great work. Well, RJ, I would, I would disagree. Um, you know, I'm, I'm actually opening up my notes really quick now. Um, I, I thought that he did a pretty good job of making the first man miss. It was an area that uh, I was very interested to see because he is a bigger back. You know, what was it? He's not a guy that's going to shake you in the hole. That's, that's, his game isn't based off his wiggle, but he does do a really good job of running through first contact. And I'm just pulling up uh, my notes here really quick. I didn't give you enough time reading the question. He, does, he'd actually, he actually does a really good job of making that first man miss. A lot of forced missed tackles uh, on tape. Just going, I just wanted to check it on my notes real quick. Um, no, Jacobs, I mean, his ability to run through first contact, I think, is really, really impressive. Uh, he'll also do a nice job of forcing missed tackles with his vision in space as well. You know, in terms of, you know, kind of having eyes in the back of his head, understanding where defenders are trying to play him and, try, and you know, put them in position to fail. I thought he did a, did a good job of that as well. You look at Jacobs, a lot of, you'll check a lot of boxes there, man. He's a, he's a good player. Great character kid on top of it, yep. everything he overcame. So, you know what? Don't rule out running back. For the Eagles, okay? Don't rule out even after getting Josh Howard, or Jordan Howard, I should say. Get Josh Jacobs, Jordan Howard, you know, they all mixed together. So Jordan Howard, should say there. All right, uh, next, just a couple of comments here uh, from fans of the show. Sunset Shaz, thank you very much. And CardFan2018, thank you very much for the five-star reviews along with the comments. Um, again, if you get your questions in Apple Podcasts, we will get those first on next week's show. Uh, let's head over to Twitter, at HerbicideL at the end there. Thinking of slot receivers and looking at quickness, not size, so, like that, that, okay. so that the 11 personnel complements the 12 personnel package. Love the, love the reasoning there. Yep. Makes a lot of sense. Okay. Looking at Paris Campbell, Debo Samuel, Andy Isabella, Nicole Hardman, and Penny Hart, please rate and discuss the fit of these five players. Well, I think when you look at this group, you almost want to – Continue. You group them. You did a nice job of looking at them from a, a smaller, you know, quicker standpoint. Yep. So I, I get that. But then take it a little step further, and I think now you want to say, okay, who are the vertical speed guys, and who are the quick yards after catch guys? And I think when you look at Paris Campbell, Mecole Hardman, and to a certain extent Penny Hart as well, those are guys that can stretch the field. They can get on top of people. Now, Paris Campbell. We've talked about it. Paris Campbell didn't always do that. wasn't wasn't asked to do that. I should say at Ohio State, he was not asked to be a vertical threat. So it is a bit of a projection there. Michael Hardman. That is on film. You have seen him track the deep ball. You have seen him try and get on top of people, stack defenders down the field, and uh, and make plays in the vertical passing game. So I think you've got a little bit of projection there with Paris Campbell. Um, then you look at Debo. Debo, and I've said this all the time. 
Debo Samuel is a big play guy, was a vertical threat in college. I don't think you look at him like a pure vert. He's not a, you know, Deshaun Jackson. You're not talking about him uh, like Marquise Brown. He's not that guy. But, man, he is so much fun with the ball in his hands. He's really quick. He does have enough speed to work vertical, and he's really tough. So I think when you look at uh, you know, what this kid can do in Debo Samuel, uh, a player that can do a lot with the ball in his hands and certainly can make plays from the slot. And I think you would then look uh, at Andy Isabella and Penny Hart as kind of a mesh between the two. You know, I think okay. both those guys – have the quickness, the route running ability, the toughness to be able to win in the quick game uh, and make, create with the ball in their hands, but then also have that ability to work vertical. I mean, what did uh, Isabella ran a sub 4-4, four, four. Uh, Penny Hart ran well, uh, shows that speed on film, had the great week of practice down in Mobile. So I think when you look at all these guys, this receiver group, it comes down to what you want as a team, as an offense, how you're, you're evaluating these players. I like what your thought process is, though, because that's the way each team is going to look at it. Each of these teams, they're not going to go in, all right, Who's the number one slot receiver off the board? Oh, it's this guy. Okay, put him on. Call it in. It's going to be how does he fit our team? What we already have. This this guy complements what we already have in the room already. Let's bring him in here. He's going to be a little bit higher rated than some of these other guys. So everybody's going to view that differently. All right. Next question. Great, great answer there, and a tremendous question from Herbicide L. All right. At a Bauer ninety one, is there anyone of note that after a second or third watch that you've changed? your opinion on and this is something that i you know pretty much if you come into we call it the pit you know it's our content creative department it's where uh we're all working in there and it's open you know open office uh uh concept i guess you would say or you know everyone can pretty much see what everyone's working on and fran's in the corner you know in the by, by the walls you know always checking the tape that's what i'm doing always watching tape so and i always will bug them who you watching this that, and the other, and it's at this time of I year. I would say more often I hit you before you even get the desk. And say, hey, true, true. I guess what you know who I watched today. And I, it was interesting because I wanted the question. I wanted to make sure that I answered the question thoroughly. So I actually went through like all my you know my list of guys. I don't really. There was not. There weren't names that stood out. Where I was like, man, like after I second watched, like I was way way off from the first watch. Typically, I feel like my now I will adjust a little bit certainly um there are guys that you know the more you watch you know you may feel strongly one way or the other the guys that i think i've really come on to more i would say number one would be dexter lawrence i talked about it earlier with tony that's why i wanted to follow up with him because um you know watching him last year and that was a little bit one of the things i was concerned with was that he had played with that foot injury last year and it bothered him throughout most of the season. So there was a little bit of a concern on my part. Hey, I didn't see a guy that offered a lot of juice as a pass rusher. I didn't see this great athlete at you know at, even at his size. I, I wasn't overly enthralled. You watch him, and the more you watch him from this past season as a junior, this kid moves really, really well. You watch his combine workout as well. You just see a big man with light feet and you know, an explosive first step, the ability to get on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They weren't asked to just shoot upfield on that Clemson defense. So, you know, you watch a, a guy like that and you say, like, you know what, this, this guy does have plenty of upside. And then uh, Montez Sweat, I would say the same thing for, you know, a guy that, uh, you know, you watch him. Uses his length really, really well. He's always leading with his hands. I think he's tough. He can defend the run. Um, I, I wrote down he uses his length as well as anybody uh, off the edge. I didn't expect that kind of athletic performance that we saw at the Combine. So my question coming in was, all right, what's, what's the athletic upside? When, he work, when a guy works out that way, I've always said, you know, when people, you know, the, the numbers all come back and, oh, this guy didn't test well, this guy didn't test well, Is that, does that hurt him for you? 
I'm more impressed by the guys that test better than expected than I am disappointed in the guys that didn't test well. Okay. Because I think it's harder for a bad athlete to test well than it is for a good athlete to have a bad day and just not test well. But then do you question why that's not as evident on tape? A little bit, yeah. That, that would be my only a thing. A little is... bit. But I think what, so if a guy has like one great score, like one thing I've noticed is you're, you'll see like a lot of longer DNs lately. Their three cone times tend to be really, really good. You know, we've seen that over the course of the last few years. You can go back, I don't want to like go through a list of names, but those longer uh, defensive ends, those three cone times tend to be really, really good, the good ones. But then you look across the board at Montez Sweat, everything was really good. I mean, yeah. the jumps were good, the 40 was good, the 10 split was good, the agilities were good, everything was really good. Um, and I do think that that athleticism does show up at times on tape. All right. Next question here from at T Bowl 10, front of the pod. Idea for pick six, okay? We love the suggestions, okay? Because there are times where we're sitting there and we're like, All right, what are we going right, to do? This week? Yep. Six players who you think would be worth trading up for and where you think the Eagles would need to get to to draft said player. So, so. this one's tough to answer any year, but especially, especially this year. Because there's you and I were talking before, uh, before the show, just for a little inside baseball, we're talking about, all right, what are we going to talk about today? What are we going to hit Tony on? What are we going to talk about in this? It's tough to get a lot of buzz for, for, this, for this draft. There's not a, there's, we don't really have like a set feel like, oh, you know what? The, these guys are definitely going to go top 10. And these guys are definitely going to go from, from you know, we'll say from 8 to 20. And then here are the guys are going to be available after that. Yeah. You see mock drafts where Christian Wilkins is available at 25, where Ed Oliver is available at 25, where you know Marquise Brown's going number 13 or he's going second round. Like I feel like after that first 5 or 6, it's all up for grabs. Like and now it's like all right, well who's falling? You know, it's it's going to be very very interesting just how it plays out. It's it comes down to the quarterbacks. It's going it to come down because okay, does Arizona take a quarterback one? It seems that they will. Yeah. Oakland. Yep. Is Oakland going to bring in competition for Derek Carr? Will the Giants pull the trigger? and take? You know, it's like there's a couple of those teams that you have to watch for early on. And if they take a quarterback, then everything else I can think can start falling into place. Yes. But that, that's why it seems to be such a wild card because it seems to be a quarterback class that nobody is really in love with the quarterbacks. This isn't Jared Goff and Carson Wentz are going 1-2, nope. no questions asked. Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, all those guys last yeah, year. Yeah, people are fighting to get those top picks. It's a year where eh, we could probably, like the Giants, maybe thinking if we like Daniel Jones, we can sit at 17 and take him, and we're not going to have competition. The so. thing is, though, is that, and I, this is a factor, when you look at what next year's quarterback class looks like now, and you guess you project the names that are going to be in there. You know, just, we talk, we all talk about Justin Herbert all year long. Oh, he's going to be the number one pick, and he goes back to school. So you have Justin Herbert, but that's not including Tua and mm-hmm. Jake Fromm and the rest of these guys. There's a bunch of quarterbacks in next year's class. That a lot of people are excited about. And so, if you're Miami, if you're Cincinnati, if you're Washington, if you're the Giants, if you're Oakland, you may say, "Look, we could take a guy here that yeah, we kind of like. If we're taking, we're taking him in the teens. Like we feel like he could be." Or we can get a great player, put a Band-Aid on it for now, and let's come back and readdress next year. Yeah. I think that there, there is a little something to that. And that doesn't mean a team's tanking or anything, but it's, you know, if you're going to spend a first now, I mean, look, we say this, but the Arizona Cardinals are, are likely going to do it. You're likely not to spend a first-round pick on a quarterback two years yeah. in a row. 
But teams may be wary of that because now the Cardinals drafted Josh Rosen. They traded up for Josh Rosen last year. And now what's the rumor that we're hearing about how he's, what his compensation is? It might be a, a third-round third pick. Like You're not getting that return on investment. So teams might be a little scared of saying, like, all right, I'm going to take this guy just in case we don't get our guy next year. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, I don't think that that will be the case. And maybe it's a, it's a situation where teams are not going to overdraft quarterbacks. Might be. Anymore. Yep. Maybe they realize – they could figure out a way. Now, I'll go back to bring up Carson Wentz. Was he really in the discussion in the 2015 NFL draft? When you no. were looking ahead, oh, we got to look out for that North Dakota State quarterback, Carson Wentz. I oh. would say that area scouts at the time probably were saying, hey, there, we have got a really intriguing guy in our area, uh, a guy that could be a first-round pick. No one was really talking about him as a top five, top ten. Yeah. But people in the area, the area scouts were, were in on Carson Wentz. They okay. knew who Carson Wentz was. But no one from a – I don't think general managers in the April of, of 2015 were saying, oh, we got the, the quarterback from North Dakota State's coming out next year. Like, we have to make sure we're, exactly. we're going to put ourselves in position to get him next year. I, I don't mean, think people were saying that. I mean, the Cleveland Browns traded out. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, because they didn't think that he was, he was worth the pick. So, uh, very, very interesting question. Great concept there from T-Ball 10. But it's, it's, this, this year's draft is fascinating from that standpoint to see if the buzz is going to pick up in the next – uh, the final two weeks leading up to it. Um, at our good friend here at CLE underscore Spartans, Cleveland Spartans, uh, can you discuss a few safety prospects that could fit the Dion Buchanan hybrid linebacker role who could be available uh, late day two or on day three? So I think when you look at the safety class in general, because I honestly I had I had some trouble here because I think when you look at okay like Taylor Rapp is one player that I you know I know our our friend Ben Fennel thinks that that's his best role Taylor Rapp uh, is you know move him down in the box and and turn him into a linebacker I, I would disagree I think he he does have a little bit of ability maybe not as a post player but to play in space play in the slot I think he can do that but I think ultimately when you look at the safety position in this class and really the safety position overall those guys now in college they're not playing safety anymore. They moved into linebacker in college because it's such a space game in college. So, you know, guys before – I mean, how many linebackers in this class do we talk about? Oh, yeah, former safety. Yep. Drew Tranquil, uh, the kid from NC State. Jermaine uh, Pratt. Jermaine Pratt, yep. There's a, a Terrell Hanks was a, yep. was a safety early in his career. There's a bunch of those guys. You know, look at Voshan Joseph. Like, seven, six years ago, Voshan Joseph is the strong safety for the Florida Gators, not the weak side linebacker. Um, so I think now a lot of those guys, they've already made the transition. They've already made that jump. And so, um, you know, that's why, I mean, I've watched, I think I've watched as many linebackers as I have as any other position in this class because, um, you know, it's, it's an intriguing group. There are a lot of guys with, with athletic backgrounds. You say, all right, like uh, in today's NFL, this plays, this plays well. Um, and I think that's part of that hybrid linebacker safety conversation that we talk about. And it, Dion Buchanan was one of those guys that started that conversation in the NFL a few years ago. All right, next question comes from at DZ86 on Twitter. If you had to guess in all caps right now, Trade up, trade back, or stay put at number twenty-five. Sorry, Deezy, we can't really uh, we can't really make that guess. But I would say this: they're not going into it saying like, "All right, this is our plan." They're going to go in. They're going to they're going to let it come to them. They're going to go and say, "Okay, like let's see how this plays out. If it goes a certain way, you know, every and that's how every team, by the way, is doing. Yeah. Every all thirty-two teams go into the draft and they they already hash out. All right, if we if a certain well, player falls to us, you hope they do. If you well, read that Greg Gabriel piece on Pro yes, Football Weekly, exactly right. But they'll go in. Teams now are all having conversations with each other. Uh, general managers are calling each other up and say, "All right, 
if if our guy uh, falls to you at you know we'll say pick seventeen or pick eleven or pick twenty one, what will it take for us to move up? Okay, it'll take uh, you know a second. It'll take a fourth. It'll take a next year's third. Whatever it is, they're gonna they're gonna hash that out now. And then when the time comes draft day, hey, our guy's there. Let's let's call up the team and they call it up. And the same thing happens with moving back. Hey, uh, would you be interested in moving up if 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 uh, the, the situation strikes on draft day, yeah, okay. Well, let's talk terms now. Those things happen now. Those things don't happen in the ten minute window. No. Very, very rarely, I should say, do they happen in that ten minute window on draft day. So that's all those talks are happening right now. Yeah, it, it, to me, because with all these defensive linemen and such the uncertainty, some uncertainty about the quarterbacks, it, you feel like somebody's going to slide. That it's like, how far do they slide, and at what point would the Eagles maybe say? Is it worth to go up and get, or can they weigh at twenty five and say, we've got four players. There's only three teams, you know, picking ahead of us. One of the guys we're going to be happy to get will be there for us at twenty five. Yep. So it's just it's such an uncertain draft, especially with the Eagles sitting and picking at number twenty five here. Uh, Sean Wolford on Twitter asks, what qualities do you look for in interior linemen, both O line and defensive tackle? That's a good question. There are some similarities too. I think when you're ultimately things happen faster, closer to the ball, uh, so you have to be able to think on your on your feet a little bit more. Obviously, uh, defensive tackle. You know, if you're an if you're an offensive lineman, defensive tackles are are bigger. So you're going to have to have the strength to be able to anchor. You want some power to be able to move some people in the run game. Um, so you'd like to you know have some of that girth uh, on both sides of the football. Um, I would say ultimately, if you're if we're just looking at traits that both sides share. I think mental processing, because things happen faster, you'd like to be able to have that strength and that power uh, to be able to both hold your ground and move people against their will. All right. Uh, next question here. We've got two more. Well, one question and one final note here. So at KJ Springer 23 what's the minimum number of players you want to have on your 53-man roster at each position, I think this is a question like you love. Like, don't you, you when we get into training camp, yeah, we start you, talking doing, about roster counts and stuff like that. Uh, this, oh is a, this is a, this is a conversation I know you love having. Let's so see. I thought I'd, this is a good one to keep into the show. All right, quarterback would be two, at least two quarterback. Yes, okay. Running backs at least three, probably I, four though. I, I, four was what well, I was going to write down. At but least three, minimum three. Yeah, minimum three, minimum four. Four receivers, typically probably five, but yep. at least at least four. Tight end, I'd say minimum two, minimum two but, but you like probably three. go three. Yep. O line, O line, the minimum's eight, but was, you dress eight, I should say, or you hope to dress eight in game. Yeah, eight. actually, I think the Eagles typically dress, dress seven. Seven, yeah, that's a good point. So, it's, so that would probably be your minimum. Really, eight's your minimum, but eight's you, your minimum. You're going. Yeah, it, it seems like offensive line is a position you don't skimp at. It's that's sure. typically you're going eight to nine. Um, if we're going minimum. I guess you could fight seven, but you're probably you probably like want eight, eight on the roster. Eight is the minimum. D line minimum probably, probably going. I mean seven. I was going to say seven minimum, or eight yep. for minimum. I was eight came to mind. You know, you figured obviously your your four starters. You want backups at each, but you figure you can rotate maybe either end or tackle. So so that ultimately it depends on. Uh, if you've got some guys that have some of that versatility Certainly that, that can helps. play both spots. Yep. Yeah, so that negates it maybe a little bit, helps you out. But I would still probably say seven's, seven's the minimum. Fair. Yep. Linebacker, go minimum five. Minimum five, yeah, because you need them for special teams. Yep. Special teams. Corner. Minimum five. I, I was almost to say four, Kingdom, if you're doing minimum. Yeah. But probably you're probably looking at five. Yep, in today's NFL. In today's NFL, definitely. And I guess it depends if you have – 
an Avante Maddox who can play, yeah, a Malcolm sure. Jenkins that can do safety and corner. That yep. you know that'll help you out certainly. Four safeties, and then I'm trying to think if the Eagles have had three, just yeah. three on the roster on the active roster, which I feel like not last year. So you're probably looking at four, four safeties, three specialists. So yeah. what's that brings us? What's that bring us to? Oh, I I, oh, I got you here. We got right. uh, so we got linebacker. Linebacker, we said five, yep. right? We said seven D-line. Mm-hmm. Uh, we said five corner. We said four safety, right? Four safety, yes. And then three specialists. Yep. So that's uh, – O-line, so O-line, we said, O-line, we said eight. We said eight. So that's 10, 14, 17. That's 19 on offense. Uh, that's this is 24 a on Magic D. happening here. So it's uh, 43 total. So that gets you to another 10. And those 10 spots are going to come wait, wait, down wait, wait, to – 27? Yeah, 27 19. and 19. That's 46. That's 46. There you go. That's why I measured in communications and not uh, math like my sister. So 46, that gives you seven. So that gives you seven spots for developmental, for uh, special teams. Certainly. Um, and just guys that are and key just backups. Qual- and just quality, quality guys that you don't want to lose. Yeah, because, again, we're talking team. minimum. So um, you, know, you may feel that you want a third quarterback. You may say, like, oh, we need our fourth running back. Now that's where special teams and all those things come to count. And, again, we're talking – Active roster, like not even practice. Yeah, squad, see, 40, like see 46 roster. right there. This is who you dress. Right. So you have your development guys, and you, like I said, your 10, 10 player practice squad. So there you go. So there you go. That was a good one. Good, good question from KJ Springer. Uh, last but not least, it's not a question, it's a revelation more than anything else. Uh, I don't know if it's a revelation. I think it's a revelation. All right. I'm, I'm juiced about it. So last you, are, week, you are very juiced about it. I know. I don't know why, but right. I'm just going to go with it. You did ask the question. I, I, I had some homework to do. Last week on the podcast, in the opening segment of the podcast, I asked Fran, how many players have you watched this point, and is it a record? Because it seems like every year you're building and doing more and more and more. Okay? So Fran went into the archives and researched how many players that he has studied dating back to Lane Johnson's draft. Zach Ertz's draft, 2013. So my Excel sheets go back to 2008, but I wasn't about to go and like because. But basically, 2013 was when I started counting guys a little bit differently. Okay. I wasn't going to go through and itemize uh, all the guys I had in my Excel sheets going back before then. So, Got so it. all right, 2013, nice clean cut. So 2013, okay. Eagles had the fourth overall pick. Now, does the draft position impact it at all? No. Okay. So, 2013, 266. 266. Fair number. 2014, mega jump here. 328. There's a lot of guys. 2015, matches the toll. So bizarre. Very strange. So bizarre. No idea that that happened. 2016, the Carson Wentz year. I don't know if you got juice with Doug Pearson and the new staff or. Might have been part of it. Or what? 375. I actually know why. I know why 375 was the number in 2016. Okay. Are you going to so disclose? My, yeah. So my, uh, my wife was in training to be a yoga teacher that year. <laughs> and so she was in class all weekend long. Do you know how many Saturdays I would just drop her off? And we, we didn't have the house then, so we had the apartment. So it's not like I had oh. housework or anything. I lived close <laughs> to the facility. Friday night she was in she was in class till like nine thirty. Saturday she was in there from like nine till five. Yeah, uh, so yeah. You do later Fridays because I picked her up from center. So that's the thing is that she needed. I, I dropped her off and picked her up. So rather than like, oh, I'm just gonna drive home and what I'm gonna do? I'm like watch a couple movies. Like no, I'll go in. I'll watch some film. Go watch some film. So three hundred seventy five guys, and that that is the record. Blaming the misses. Blaming the misses. That's the record. 
So 2017, I guess uh, you know she wasn't taking any classes. So you're back down to back 350. To 350 yep. Last year you got lazy. I don't know what it was. Three twenty-six Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. That's what it was. That's what it is. Super Bowl. Three twenty-six. Okay. That's, shortened. Shortened offseason. It's a fair, fair excuse there. Uh, and now two thousand nineteen, with still a little over two weeks ago, Fran is at three hundred and forty-one. Three hundred and forty-one. Can he beat the record? Thirty. <laughs> There's no way I'll, I'll be that right here. No. They're two a day. Two a days. Pull some two a days here down the stretch. Two a day. Uh, I can't do two. I'm not, I can't do it on weekends. Three. So four. Sorry, do, can I do four a day in the, during the week? So I don't know. It's up to you. Probably not. Do you have it in you? Who are, that's the thing. At this point. See, that's the, and that's the other part. Who are you, who are you watching? Who are you going to want to watch? You're 1,000% right. Because this, means, this isn't 34 guys. This is 34 <laughs> new players. Yeah. Like you know, uh, I'm probably not going to watch 34 new players. I hope you're not checking out that Drexel University long snapper or something like that. They don't have a long snapper. That's correct, exactly. Yeah, so but, like, yeah but that's what I mean. You're getting to yeah, that. There's point no, there's no shot on watching 30. Now I might watch nine new guys before before the draft. All right. Question really is going to be after you have your son following the draft. And what is next year's? What's next year's? That's gonna that's gonna be yeah. We're going back to 2013. <laughs> we're going back to 2013. It, it's it's actually it's one of two things. It's going to be. You're going to be devoting so much time. You're going back to 2013 levels, or you're going to be up all night with little well, Fran, what, uh, Francis. That, well, that's uh, what uh, Meg said. You know, my wife will say, "Like, what are you going to be able to do when you know when you need to stay up at night?" And I'm like, I look over. I'm like, I've got my iPad. <laughs> I've got some ideas of what I can do when I when I have to stay up at night. You know, if there's if you you know holding little Francis there, yeah, we'll and, find out, and so. uh, you know, just get the iPad and get a couple <laughs> couple games in. So. So that, that's that's gonna be the fun experiment for next year. That's right. So, uh, kind of a quirky way to to wrap up the podcast, but uh, quite honestly, it was the highlight for me. I'll be honest. That so. doesn't say a lot about this show. <laughs> uh, special thanks once again to Melissa Kelly for handling things behind the glass. Thank you all for the tremendous questions and the comments that you're leaving, whether it's on Apple, Stitcher, uh, wherever you listen to our podcast. Uh, I am out next week. I'm actually taking. A week off. It is. Uh, my wife is going to turn forty. Um, Congratulations at, on draft weekend, Friday of draft weekend. So I will not be around to celebrate. So uh, we're taking the family to uh, Disney, having a little uh, family celebration down in Orlando for the week. So her birthday is which day? The twenty sixth. Yeah, my wife's birthday is the twenty fourth. So I, I, I feel, uh, you I, feel can I feel I feel your pain. Yeah, we, I you get can, it. I get it this year, but. Some years you don't. Some years I don't. Almost every year. It's draft weekend. So Friday of the draft. And that's actually that's actually worse because if it was the first night of the draft, I could spend a day with her or something like that. You know, everything's happening at night. Doesn't happen Friday. Friday is the whoever we pick, assuming we pick someone day one, they're coming to the building. Yeah, it's yeah, not happening. So gonna spend the week in Disney. So I will not be uh I'll not be around for the podcast. Uh, I trust you will do an outstanding job. You're already you're already working on lining up guests, and uh, I'm working behind the scenes. We'll see what we got. Yeah, you're week. making things happen. So, uh, so again, for everyone out there, thank you so much for listening. Once again, for Fran Duffy, I'm Chris McPherson. He'll be back with another edition of the Journey to the Draft podcast next week. Have a good one, everyone.